0: The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome uh, this morning to Coastal Community Church. I'm Pastor Chris. It's good to be here. Uh, man, August was great for me. I got a little bit of a uh, preaching break. I wasn't gone every uh, every week during August, um, but I got to um, our associate, our youth pastor, uh, got to preach. And the last weekend, my wife and I went out of town for uh, a long Labor Day weekend and uh, just had a great time. Uh, but it's good to be back. Let me go ahead and address, by the way, uh, probably the most asked question I've gotten this morning, not about the Clemson game, but about the storm, uh, about the— uh, uh, Hurricane uh, Florence. Uh, the reality is, you know, we don't know anything yet. Uh, we're just like everybody else, we're watching and trying to pay attention. And uh, then, you know, as we need to make appropriate decisions, we will uh, as soon as we need to. And uh, right now, we are planning for, you know, a big day for next Sunday. In fact, we have a, uh, in fact, the uh, the postcard that's in your bulletin today. Everybody pull that out. There's, in fact, you, got, you should have two of them in your bulletin. Uh, these are not for you, by the way. These are for you to uh, to give away. Uh, to invite and bring a friend for next Sunday, and obviously it's got the date, the times, and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, you know, right now, as I, the last I saw this morning, uh, at least the you know better news for us right now is that the consensus is right now at least is looking like it might at least move a little toward the north of us. So we don't know that though. I don't even want to you know say that yet because we really don't know. So no matter what, we're planning to reach uh, out to our community. And uh, next Sunday, right now, as of today, we're going to have three. Free services next Sunday, 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30, and it is going to be huge. And the, way, the reason it's going to be huge is not just because we're mailing these out, but because you're praying, because you're preparing, and because you are going to invite and bring your friends. And what a better Sunday, you know, as people are talking about, oh my goodness, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, that we're going to be talking about putting our faith into action. And uh, we're going to be going through the book of James, but the whole series really is about you know moving into action. And uh, so next Sunday, instead of our typical fair of you know jump castles and cone ice and nothing wrong with any of that, but we got another Sunday coming up in October for all of that. But we're asking you to do us a favor, put your faith into action, and to bring things with you. Bring things like ha- for for Habitat for Humanity. In fact, inside your bulletin today, uh, there's a little uh, flyer. It kind of explains all this. What to bring bring uh, our food pantry. Let me just tell you something. This church feeds our community. We have people every single week that come to our food bank, our food pantry, the hurting, the hungry, and and we feed them. In fact, this past week, I got a call from Oakland Elementary School saying, hey, uh, can we send somebody, a hurting family, over to your church so you would feed them? Uh, The answer is yes, of course. However, let me say this. Our food bank, our food pantry is in Embarrassingly low right now, and you need to change that this week. You're going to Walmart and Costco anyway, buying snacks this week, why not pick up some stuff for our food pantry? Go through your food pantry, all those canned goods that you're not eating, that have been sitting there doing nothing. Bring them next week and help us feed our community. By the way, also the first Saturday of every month, we take our food bank to North Charleston and feed the hungry and homeless there, so it goes to great use operation christmas child last year we we boxed up over 500 shoe boxes and sent them around the world to children who don't even know what christmas is about and yet we got to give them the love of jesus and the gospel and so we're asking you to bring supplies for that american red cross guess what somebody if not us somebody near us is going to need blood And you can sign up to give blood next Sunday. So what we're saying is, this is going to be huge. Let's make it that way because you participated physically. You didn't just show up. You came ready to put up, to put your faith into action. So can you do that for me? Oh, that was pitiful. Can you do it for me? Okay, listen, and not for me, but because God is doing something through this church, and he wants to use you. So listen, take these cards and give them away. Right now, we're having three services next Sunday. If it changes, you'll be the first to know, And uh, but listen, God is doing amazing things, and I want you to be a part of it, and you know what? You can leverage all of that, all of that as you invite and reach out to the people where you live, work, and play, because. People are, you know, they're suspicious of the church. They think we don't put our money where our mouth is. We don't make a difference in the community. And you can change that. You can say, listen, come next Sunday, bring food, bring supplies, sign up to give blood because this church is making a difference. So I am excited about this series. The book of James is one of the most practical books in the Bible. It addresses things like, listen, dealing with temptation, controlling your tongue, the way you speak, racism, suffering, how you handle your money. Our call to care for, love, reach out to, and speak up for the hurting, the abandoned, and the poor in our community and in our world. It's about putting our faith into action. It is about being real. Real. And I believe that that's exactly what people are looking for today. They're looking for real. And that is why so many people have lost their faith in organized religion. They're losing their religion. Because instead of finding real, they're finding fake, they're finding phony, all talk and no action, people pretending. People wearing masks, saying one thing on a Sunday, but then doing something else with their lives. And I believe that if we are truly going to make an impact, which is the, the theme this year of our church, where we live, work, and play in this community and in our world, I believe we've got to change that and we've got to get real. And that's what I want us to talk about today. As we prepare for next Sunday and for the series that we're going to move into, losing my religion and finding a real relationship with God. Now, if there was ever a person who walked the planet who was absolutely fed up with fake and phony religion and challenged people to get real, it was Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells a short, uh, often overlooked story to explain the difference between the two. And I want you to follow along as I read it today. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Okay, hold up just for a second. Let's stop right there. Now, who is Jesus addressing this story to? And it says right here that this story is to those who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to religious people. In our day, he'd be talking to people who just attend church. People who think that they're better than everybody else. Now, before we all Puff ourselves up with pride and breathe a, a huge sigh of relief that, well, you know, at least he's not talking about us. Let me ask you a few pointed questions. Do you ever look at people who don't go to church and think you're better than they are? Do you think that you're superior to those who are in a different political party than you or who think differently than you do about certain hot button issues? Do you ever look down on somebody because they're young, because they're old, because they're poor? Have you ever written somebody off who has a a drug problem or an alcohol problem or some sort of addiction? Do you make jokes about homosexuals? Do you think your race is better than others? Listen, don't you see my point and Jesus' point this morning is that he's talking to all of us. We can so easily all fall into this trap. You know, I like how the message paraphrases this verse. It says this He told his story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their own moral performance and looked down their noses at other people. By the way, that's what most people in the world today think about you, that's what they think about church. Let's continue. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now we don't really get the whole of this this context here, but Jesus is introducing us to two people who could not have been more different from each other. You see, when we hear the story today, uh, you know, about two men going up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, in our minds, we immediately know who the bad guy in the story is. I mean, we think, okay, Pharisee, bad, religious hypocrite, legalist. And we might not be exactly sure about the tax collector in the story, but we got no doubts about the Pharisee. The problem is, listen to me, that is not at all how Jesus' listeners would have heard this story in the first century. Without a doubt, they would have immediately put the Pharisee in the good guy category and the tax collector in the bad guy category. Remember, uh, during summer reading, we talked about the danger of putting people into categories. But that's exactly what they would have done. Good guy, bad guy. Pharisees were highly, highly respected in that day. In fact, they were kind of like the, uh, the Billy Grahams of their day. If, in fact, if I were to begin telling you a story this morning about Billy Graham and an axe murderer, okay, or Mother Teresa and a Carolina Gamecock fan, I mean, you'd automatically know who was the good guy and who was the bad guy, right? Okay, so that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this story. He knew that they would view the Pharisee as the hero, the good guy. And everybody would assume that the tax collector is the villain in the story. You see, while we look down on Pharisees today, because what we now know of their hypocrisy and their legalism, Jesus' listeners would have looked up to this guy. You see, this guy knew the Bible. He knew Scripture, much of it from heart. He had high moral values. He was faithful to his wife and family. He was a good guy, well-respected in the community. Today, he might be equivalent to, you know, like a pastor or godly leader in the church, respected in the community. Parents wanted their children to grow up to be Pharisees. The tax collector, on the other hand. In fact, to Jesus' listeners, the tax collector would have been completely out of place in the story. I mean, a tax collector going to the temple to pray would have been absolutely unheard of. I mean, they probably would have laughed out loud and said, yeah, right. I mean, you know, who does he think he is going to the temple? What business does he have there? I mean, you know, the walls would come crashing down if he shows up, which is a lot what a lot of your friends think if they show up at church. You see, tax collectors basically had sold their soul to Rome for a buck. Rome occupied Israel at this time, and and they were hated. And not only did this guy work for the enemy, but he skimmed money off the top to make his living, and he got rich off of his own people. So as a result, he wasn't actually allowed in the synagogue. He couldn't hold public office. He couldn't testify in court. You did not want your babies to grow up to be tax collectors. So again, both of these men go to the temple to pray. Now let's look at what they both prayed. Jesus begins with the Pharisee. Verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Wow. The Pharisee, Walks to the center of the temple court, you know, he adjusts his collar, clears his throat, and he struck a pose and he prayed for everybody to hear. In fact, in Greek, the phrase stood up literally means that he took his stand. In other words, even his posture is self promoting and prideful. He is there to be seen and heard. His prayer contains 33 words. Five of those words are I. In fact, notice that Jesus says when he prayed, he prayed about himself. Some of your translations say that he was praying to himself. I mean, he's basically standing up and praying something like this God, I am so thankful that I am all that in a bag of chips. You know, and most of all, I am thankful that I am not like these losers. But now let's go to the tax collector. What does he pray? You know, really, it's as though when Jesus mentions him, you can almost hear his listeners going, Boo, hiss, you know, get him out of here. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, the tax collector knew better than to, you know, go into the inner court. You know, so we find him sitting at a distance. You know, he's on the back row, right? Probably somewhere in the outer court, not to be seen. You know, no flowing robes, no fancy words. In fact, his prayer is only. Only seven words. God, have mercy on me. A sinner. You know, think about it. No comparisons. I mean, you know, who is he going to compare himself to anyway, right? No long list of good deeds. He's not tithing, you know. You know, just this humble plea. This begging for forgiveness and mercy. Mercy. Now again, today, while our hearts might kind of go out to this guy, you know, you got to know that Jesus' first century audience, they were thinking, okay, this guy's finally going to get what he deserves, justice. And everybody listening thought they'd already figured out this story, or so they thought. Listen to how Jesus turns this whole thing upside down. Verse 14. I tell you that this man, in other words, he's talking about the tax collector. The tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I'm telling you, every single jaw in the crowd would have dropped. Everyone would have gasped. I mean, seriously, they would have been like, whoa, wait a second. What are you saying, Jesus? I mean, God does not listen to tax collectors. You know, what's going on? Great question. What is going on here? You know, what what is the point that Jesus is making? What's the lesson that we need to take home with us today? Now, let me tell you what the lesson is not I do not think that the moral of this story is a matter of good and bad. It's not. The point is, the point of this story is that when it comes to God, he desires truth and reality. Listen, the Pharisee wasn't real. He was a hypocrite, he was fake, he was phony. Now, in fact, go back and notice what's missing from his prayer. There's absolutely no, you know, no sense of, of his own sinfulness. There, there, there's no desperate need or plea for anything or anyone. I mean, there's no humility whatsoever in his prayer. There, there's not the slightest sense that this man has anything that he needs to be forgiven for. The Pharisee was a a plastic, superficial, prideful poser. In contrast, man, that tax collector is as real as it gets. He he, He knows he has nothing, and yet he needs everything. And that's what he brings to God. He brings it all. He brings his real self, warts and all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The problem with reality, though, is it's so hard to find today. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I I know this is going to come as a shock to many of you. You ready for this? Reality TV is not real. (laughs) I mean, as much as you want to believe, you know, the real housewives of wherever, you know, it's not real. It's staged. It's phony. It's scripted. And you know what? That is exactly what so many people today think about the church. That's what they think about Christianity, that it's fake, it's phony, it's out of touch with reality. Coastal, how do we change that? What do we do about that? How do we get real? Well, today I want to give you just four steps. And really, this is just to get us started in the right direction. As we go into this this new series, Losing My Religion, and we talk about getting real. In fact, I want to use the word real this morning as an acrostic. Follow along. The letter R, if you're taking notes, pursue a relationship Not religion. It's about a relationship, not religion. Now the Pharisee, again, he was definitely a religious guy. And most people in that day, just like most people in our day, thought that was a good thing. But guys, here's the rub. Some of Jesus' harshest criticism was directed at religious people. I mean, the only thing that religion will get you is cuts in the line to hell. That's it. In fact, if you've got a chance, you ought to go home today and read Matthew 23. In just that one chapter alone, Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, snakes, brood of vipers, and sons of hell. I mean, he doesn't mince words when it comes to religion. Why? Because religion is the enemy of relationship. Remember, it was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who the Bible says went home justified. Why? Because of God's mercy. What did he pray? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Listen, that's where it starts. That's where that relationship with God begins, right there, out of this this humility, this coming to God. It flows out of the fact that if we come to God in humility, He loves you and He is merciful towards you. See, mercy doesn't exist in religion. It doesn't, because it's not needed. You know, religion is all about performance. In fact, here's how religion goes. Religion says, well, if I obey, if I'm good, God will love me. And a relationship says, no, because God loves me, I now want to obey. I now want to be pleasing to him. Do you see the difference? It's not, well, if you're good, God will love me. No, you know what it is? You're bad, and God still loves you. You see, that's what makes us good. It's his love. It's the power of his spirit. That's what changes our heart and changes our emotions and our desires because the reality is we're not good. We're bad. But here's the deal. Jesus is good, and he loves you. The Bible says, here's the gospel, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news. That's the gospel. You see, the gospel doesn't see people in terms of, listen to this, good or bad. The gospel sees people in terms of humble or proud, repentant or unrepentant. And religion misses that completely. One of the best descriptions of religion is found in Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Listen to this. The Lord says these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. What's he talking about there, by the way? He's talking about worship. He's talking about people who come and they might come on a Sunday morning, they clap their hands, they might raise their hands, they might sing. He says, you come to me with with your mouth and you you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship is made up only of what? What does he say? What's the next word? Rules taught by men. That's religion. When you substitute a personal relationship with God with following the rules, when you, when you reduce following God to a formula, if you obey these rules, God will love you. Religion is all about you know, I, what I do or what I don't do. Well, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I use my turn signal, I follow the rules, I'm a good person, You know, I try really hard. It's all about what I do or don't do. The gospel is about what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done. When he died in our place on the cross, what did he say? It is what? It is finished. It is done. The work is done. It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus has done for me. It's not about my works. It's about the work of Jesus, his sinless life, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Religion is about me. It's all about me. Relationship, man, it's all about Jesus. Religion is about earning God's love. Relationship is about trusting in God's love. Which do you have? That leads us to the letter E. Express your need for forgiveness. Express your need for forgiveness. Go back to verse 11 in Jesus' story. To whom did the Pharisee pray? Himself. Himself. His prayer was for show, to be seen and heard. And let me tell you something, that's what a lot of people are doing on Sunday mornings. They're just attending a place so that they can be seen or heard. It's got nothing to do with this humble need of God. The tax collector's prayer, it was just the opposite it was full of need, a need for relationship, a need for restoration, a need for mercy, forgiveness. His prayer reminds me of David's prayer in Psalm 51. Remember David? He's caught red-handed, having committed adultery with Bathsheba. He tries to cover it up by having her husband killed. He's confronted by the prophet Nathan. And in Psalm 51, finally, he comes to his senses and he prays for forgiveness. Remember what he said? He didn't say, oh God, forgive me because I'm a good person. God, forgive me because I'm moral. God, forgive me because I'm religious. No, he said, God, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. That's exactly what the tax collector prayed. Have mercy on me, O God. Not because I'm good, because I'm not. I'm not. I am a sinner in need of a savior. But oh God, have mercy on me because you, you're merciful. Will God answer a prayer like that? Absolutely. In fact, in Proverbs 28, 13, it says this, people who conceal their sin will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. The letter A, just admit you're a mess. Listen, if we're gonna get real, we gotta take off our mask and admit the truth, we are a mess. You know, I can't tell you the number of times I've had people, uh, you know, tell me something along the lines of, you know, one of these days I'm going to come to church as soon as I get my what, my act together. You know what? If getting your act together is a prerequisite for coming to church, my membership should have been revoked a long time ago. Because I don't have my act together, and guess what? You don't either. You know, one of the things I do love about the Bible is its raw honesty about the human condition. You know, take Noah, for example. Noah's a a man of goodness, you know, dogged determination, faith, righteousness. But then after the ark had settled and he built an altar to God, he got drunk and, and passed out naked in his tent for his family to see. You know, I just mentioned David. He's known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. We did a series on him. He... But he was also arrogant and impulsive and and, and cheating, a lying murderer. He was a mess. You know, what about the great Apostle Paul? You know, church planter, author of most of the New Testament. Man, he was also a mess. In fact, I I want you to listen to what I, I believe could be described as part of his own personal journal almost, as recorded in Romans chapter 7. Listen to this. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for what I want to do is not the good, for what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Can anybody relate to that this morning? At least the the Apostle Paul knew the answer to his ongoing struggle. Listen to how he concludes this section. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, here's the point. Nobody wants to admit admit they're a mess. We'd rather put on masks and pretend that everything's okay, and it is not. And the Bible is crystal clear about the fact that all of us are a mess. All of us have sinned. In other words, we've all messed up, every single person in this room. But here's the problem. I don't want you to know it, and you don't want me to know it. And so we hide. We hide our struggles behind these pretty masks. And then we all pretend that we're immune to things like depression and anxiety and addiction and lust and anger and gossip and greed and fear. And I could keep going and going and going. And then that, once that mask is tightly in place, we then start comparing ourselves to other people, and then we take it further, and we judge other people who we think are a little bit less messy than we are, or more messy than we are. so we can feel better about ourselves. And left unchecked. It's not long until we are looking down our nose at other people or despising those people who just happen to sin differently than we do. And as a result, people want nothing to do with the church, and we got to change that. In fact, speaking of the book of James, I love James five sixteen in the message. Listen to this. Make this your common practice. Again, putting your faith into action, getting real. Make this your common practice. Confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Jesus said it like this, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then Jesus said, and I have come to call sinners. Not those people who think they're already good enough. Not religious people. Like the tax collector in Jesus' story. Can you just admit it? Can you just humble yourself and admit that you're a mess? And then just join the rest of us who are just fellow strugglers on this great adventure of faith. By the way, that's a a great description of the church. We're just humble, forgiven sinners. We're we're fellow strugglers on the great adventure of faith. And listen, if you can admit that, if you can humbly ask God for mercy, man, you're ready to, to live out this final letter, the letter L. Live, live a life of freedom and grace. You know, after each one of these guys prayed, they both walked out of the temple, but I'm convinced the way that they left was radically different. I believe the Pharisee left exactly the way he came in, just a self-righteous, prideful, strutting rooster, Gamecock. No, anyway, um, again, bad guy, no. I'm going to work it in every Sunday over the fall. You just know that's going to happen. You know it. You know it. But listen, the tax collector, listen to this. On the other hand, you know, I believe that he came to the temple totally and completely beat down, weighed down by guilt and shame. But I know that he didn't leave that way. He did not. How do I know that? Because Jesus tells us that the tax collector, here's what what he said, went home justified before God. That's kind of a, a theological term, but let me give you a really good, easy way to remember what it means. It means that he went home just as if I'd never sinned. That's justified, just as if I'd never sinned. It means that he went home, you ready for this? Completely right before God, not because of anything that he had done, but solely on the basis of the mercy and the grace of God. This is the final passage I want to read this morning. And I want, this just to, I want you to let this, this passage of Scripture just wash over you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Listen to this, Titus 3, 4 through 7. It's a great illustration, explanation of the gospel. But then, God our Savior showed us his kindness and love. He saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sin and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Jesus, our Savior, did. He declared us not guilty because of His great kindness. And we know we will inherit eternal life. Amen? Do You want to live... In the freedom of forgiveness and grace, you want to walk out of here today a different person from which you came in? And let me tell you something, it's possible. I know some of you just like this tax collector have come in here today or maybe you're watching it online and you feel like him just weighed down with shame and guilt and regret and remorse. Listen, then it's time. It's time to get real. It's time to humbly admit the simple truth. You're a mess. And you need mercy. And God, listen to this, He loves you. He loves you unconditionally, irrationally, fiercely, and tenderly. And it is this love that sets you free to be who God created you to be. God's redeeming love sets you free to be real. Real with Him and real with one another. So please, please stop running away when you mess up. And instead, run into the arms of the one who totally and completely loves you just the way you are right now. Lose. It's time that we all lose the religion and discover a real relationship with a loving God. And you can have that today. And let me tell you something, that, my friends, deep down in their hearts, is what the people in your life, your sphere of influence are looking for. They need to see it lived out in you, and then maybe, just maybe, if you would invite them to come, let me tell you something, that's what they're going to hear at Coastal. The gospel. And it has the power to change their life just like it changed yours. Will you invite and bring somebody next week? Would you like to be set free today and walk out of here like the tax collector, just as if I'd never sinned? Then pray with me. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, thank you for the good news of the gospel. And Father, I believe that there are people here today, or people who are watching this online, who are ready, ready to come clean. Ready just to humbly admit the truth. Listen, that's it. Just pray this with me today. Dear Heavenly Father, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe, I believe that because of your great love and your great kindness, you provided a Savior in your Son, Jesus. And he died on that cross for me. He rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death. And today I believe it. I I put my faith and trust in him and him alone. Not me, not my goodness, not in religion, but in him. I believe. And listen, if you pray that, if you believe that in your heart, the Bible says that you are saved. You will walk out of this room today justified before God, just as if I'd never sinned. And Father, today we also pray for this, this city We pray for our region. God, we pray that as people are are looking and searching for help and and food and bread and milk and water, that ultimately, God, they'll know that you, God, are the creator and that we put our trust and our faith and hope in you and in you alone. And, Father, we pray today that we could reach out to our friends and neighbors and coworkers and family and invite them to come, invite them to, to lose religion and find a real relationship as we together put our faith in action. We love you, and I pray this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal, or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.